In the summer of 2019, four-year-old Dylan Stitch was afraid, actually he was terrified, to jump off of the diving board into the swimming pool. Dylan's mom, Marla, said he had no interest in diving off of the off the diving board into the pool. We continually encouraged him, saying, hey, why don't you give it a try? Why don't you give it a shot? But Dylan just kept refusing. Daniel Biss, who served in the Air Force during World War I and the Korean War, certainly knew a thing or two about courage and fear. So when he saw the neighborhood kid at a family pool party lacking the courage to jump into the pool off of the diving board, he knew exactly what needed to be done. Daniel said, the young boy just needed some convincing, I guess, and I was going to try. So Daniel borrowed someone else's swimming trunks, and with his cane in hand, he stepped up onto the diving board to set an example for four-year-old Dylan. The great-grandfather had not been on a diving board for over 50 years, but he stepped up that day with his cane in hand on the diving board to teach a lesson of courage at the age of 95, which, by the way, almost didn't turn into a diving lesson of encouragement, but first aid lesson, because Daniel was wobbling around on the, on the hobbling around and staggering on the diving board like a drunken Air Force pilot. He, he was caught at one second and put back up, and then Marla said this, the mother of the kid. Everyone held their breath. And really got nervous and thought, oh, this was a bad idea. And Daniel said, I was up there, and so I figured I may as well go through with it. It wasn't the prettiest dive that you've ever did see. He actually did a belly flop. And there's a video of it. If you want to go online, just type in his name. It will come right up. It is both awe-inspiring and nerve-wracking all at the same time to see him kind of staggering up there, but then to belly flop into the diving pool. It, was the, it wasn't the prettiest dive, but he got the job done. And just as it was his last ever dive off of a diving board at the age of 95, it became Dylan's first at the age of four. Encouraged by seeing the old guy dive, he decided to take a chance. Dylan's mom said, it was really neat that Daniel inspired my son, Dylan, to jump off the diving board. It was a great, great moment. Perhaps we could say this morning that it was a defining moment of courage for the old man and for the young boy. I want to welcome you to our 2023 series, Holy Moments of Faith, and over the next four weeks, we'll be unwrapping four kind of presents or four different moments from the Christmas story. We'll be extracting them and talking about them. Moments that were extremely personal and moments that were holy moments, and they were both life-changing moments. And our first holy moment that we're going to look at comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 1. We're starting at verse 26. We're going to read a couple of verses and then I'm going to talk a while. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Then in verse 27, to a virgin named Mary, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Then in verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, would you read the next two lines with me? Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. We quickly discover that verse 28 becomes a moment in Mary's life that is significant and life-changing. It actually is so life-changing that it changes her life forever. Now, mind you, it wasn't like Mary didn't have a lot going on in her life. 
She had some significant events that are already unfolding in her life prior to verse 26. Mary wasn't sitting around waiting for the angelic message to come from God that this is what you need to do and this is what you'll do, Mary. No, Mary was living a life of engagement. She was making preparations for her wedding day where she would officially leave the family nest and begin a family and life with her fiancé, Joseph. Mary was in a season of transition that was fairly significant already in her life. She was already in some life-changing moments that were happening within her life. And then, that's without even adding the complexity of verse 28 to her life. I'm certain Mary was both nervous and excited and busy before Gabriel interrupted her plans and goals and desires. However, in the heartbeat of an angel, we see here in Luke chapter 1 that God interrupts Mary's life with not just a plan, but an outrageous plan. It's not just a plan that he interrupts her life with, it's an outrageous plan. When it comes to God interrupting my life, and when it comes to God interrupting your life with outrageous plans, we should always remember the words of Terrace Crawford, who said this, you may not be 100% right now, but God is 100% right now. I'm sure Mary was not 100% all right in that moment, but God was 100% right then and now, and same for our in our life. My prayer this morning for each and every one of us in this room and watching online this morning is that we would understand that no matter what we face and no matter where God takes us or where He leads us, that God is 100% right now. He is. In Luke 1, we discover, discover several helps when it comes to holy moments from the life of Mary and this encounter she had with Gabriel. The first thing that we um, want to look at, we've already touched on it, it's this one right here. Every holy moment has God interrupting the rhythms of life. Every holy moment that we have with God, it interrupts the rhythms of life. Let me, be clear, let, let me clarify this morning. Let me be very clear with us this morning. This is not a negative statement. This is a positive. This is a huge win. When God interrupts our life and the rhythms of our life, that is a very good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. The interruption into Mary's life was to become the biggest blessing of her entire life. This interruption in Luke chapter 1 is the biggest blessing she would ever experience in her life. To be told this message was life-changing. So many times we refuse to allow God to interrupt the rhythms of our life because we don't want to give up the mundane life that we're living or the insignificant life that we're living or the things that we think we're controlling when we're not really even controlling them but we think we are. Paul Tripp gives this perspective. He said, in, in every, if every good and perfect gift comes from above, then why would you boast about your host, your work, or your relationships? If every good thing comes from God above, from the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Spirit, then why would we try to hold on to the things that are temporal and insignificant? Why would we not embrace a greater blessing that comes from God Himself? You see, God's plans are always much better than our plans. We may not think that, but they are, that is true. God's ways are always much better than our ways. When was the last time you prayed? Maybe you got down on your hands and knees and prayed to God and gave God permission to interrupt the rhythms of your life. When was the last time you prayed that prayer? God, interrupt my life. Interrupt the rhythm of my life. 
Interrupt the things that I'm holding on to that I shouldn't be holding on to. Interrupt the things that I become comfortable in. And, and interrupt my life. I'm so thankful that God interrupted my life in February of 1988 at a weekend youth rally. It was a huge win for my life. And definitely it was a holy moment between me and God when I placed my trust fully in Jesus despite not knowing what the future was going to hold or what the plan was. I was trusting God. Let me just say this this morning to you. God interrupting your life may surprise you, but it does not surprise the one who created you. God already knows. He already has a plan for your life. Gabriel interrupting Mary may have been a surprise to Mary, but it was no surprise to God. Is he had a plan. God's plans for our life always interrupt the rhythm of our life. Something else we discover from Mary's story is this. The second thing is that every holy moment proceeds with an understanding that God is with us. Every holy moment proceeds with an understanding that when we have that holy moment, we have this knowledge that God is with us. Mary was reminded that no matter what was to come next, no matter what she was going to face in her life, that God would be with her. That was the promise that Gabriel gave to her. God will be with you, Mary. I think it's worth noting that no matter what comes next in our life, we need to remember Gabriel's message to Mary. God is with us, amen? That no matter what we face, whether it's the darkest night or the stormiest sea, or whether it's a great experience of sipping tea on top of a mountaintop, God is with us. And He knows us, and He knows the plan He has for us. In fact, in Gabriel's declaration to Mary, he declares, God is with you, Mary. In Scripture, we know that God is with us is another character, characteristic trait of Jesus or another name for Jesus, which is often called in Scripture, Emmanuel. Are you familiar with that name? Emmanuel means God with us. The message God with us shows up long before Jesus shows up. Prior to the arrival of Jesus on planet earth, we see that there is a declaration of an Emmanuel coming, a, a person, a God, a divine being who would be with us, God with us. We also see it when Jesus is with us here on planet earth, and we see it after Jesus leaves this planet, there is a declaration that God would be with us. Pre-arrival of Jesus, we see it in the prophet's declaration in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, when the prophet says, long before, hundreds of years before Jesus shows up on planet earth, he declares, there, will, there is one coming who will be called Emmanuel, which means God with his people, God with you. We see it in the declaration of Gabriel to Mary in, in Luke chapter 1. Mary, God will be with you. God is with you, Mary, Emmanuel. We see it in the declaration of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when, when the angel tells Joseph, God is with you, Joseph, and he will be called, this child that Mary will give birth to will be called Emmanuel, Jesus, meaning God with you and with his people. However, we also see it not only pre-arrival and not only during the arrival of Jesus, but we also see it after the departure of Jesus from this planet. In Luke chapter 28, we see Jesus just getting ready to ascend to God the Father's right-hand side in heaven again. And this is what unfolds, what we call the Great Commission 
In verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And then in verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So this is a declaration, this is a promise to not only the disciples that are following Jesus, but to the disciples of the disciples, meaning for us today as well. This was the declaration, and be sure of this, say it with me, church, I am with you always, which is the name of Jesus, and what is the name of Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us. I am with you always, Jesus said, even to the end of time, to the end of the age. In the great commission of Matthew 28, Jesus was declaring Emmanuel himself just like Isaiah had, and just like Gabriel had to both Mary and Joseph. God with us, though, is more than just a nice Christian slogan or Christmas name. It's more than that. The declaration of Emmanuel, God with us, is just the tip of the iceberg. When you say Emmanuel, God with us, and probably most likely all of us in this room and watching online will say it at least once, if not numerous times during the Christmas season, Emmanuel, God with us. It's more than just the name. It's more than just the declaration of the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. There is so much more. That, that is just the tip of the iceberg. When we look below the waterline, this is what we discover, that there is a lot more at work. There is a lot more at play than just declaring God with us. So much more than what we see on the surface. When we hear that God is with us, and when Mary heard God is with you by Gabriel, that God is with you, Mary, it reminded her of two things that we should be reminded of this morning, that when God is with us, this is the first thing that we should remember, that God always has a plan. Mary, God is with you. You may not understand it. You may not fully grasp it until sometime down the road, somewhere along the way, it will come to you. But I'm, I'm assuring you, Mary, Emmanuel, God with you, he will be with you because God has a plan for you, Mary. God with us. What, what, what is the truth that we can extract from that statement, God is with us, Emmanuel? It is this, that God has a plan for my life. And God has a plan for your life. And God has a plan for everyone's life that will surrender to Him. In the context of Luke chapter 1, God with us was spoken because Mary had no idea what was about to happen to her. However, just because Mary didn't fully understand what was going to happen to her does not mean that God did not have a plan for Mary. And just because we don't understand fully what God's plan is for our life does not mean that God does not have a plan for our life. He does. We just don't fully understand it yet. I have discovered that God seldom does anything the way that we think He should. We may draw up our plans and say, okay, God, could you sign your name to this? And God will not sign His name to it. You can envision the greatest vision for your life, and it's not God's vision for your life. It's not God's goal. It's not God's dream for your life. Because God seldom does things the way that we want Him to do it. Did Mary envision the plan that was unfolding in front of her eyes in Luke chapter 1? Did Mary draw up the plans that an angel was going to come and deliver a message to her that she was going to conceive of the Holy Spirit while being a virgin and give birth to God's holy son, Jesus? Not a chance. 
She didn't even come close to that plan for her life. She didn't even come close to God's plan for her. It didn't involve that. However, I'm pretty sure there were other people on that day who had visions and plans of how God could and should restore Israel. And I'm pretty sure it didn't involve how God was unfolding His plan in Luke chapter 1. Very few of us, if we were alive in that day, would have guessed God's plan. Maybe, perhaps a few prophets did, as they foretold the coming of Jesus. But they were an exception. The angel spoke, God is with you, Mary. What is the truth? What is the application in God being with us? It is that God has a divine plan for our life. He has a divine plan. It's not a wish, and it's not a hope. When Gabriel visited with Mary and said, God is with you, Mary. It wasn't a wish. It wasn't a, I hope. Mary, that what I'm telling you is right? I I think I have this story right. I think I have this statement right, Mary. I I believe that God is going to be with you wherever this may land. No, the angel was speaking actual, factual words. God is with you, Mary, and God has a divine plan for your life. In in becoming the virgin mother of God's son, Mary would certainly need God's full protection against the slander, against the murderous hands that would threaten the life of the Christ child. She would often, I'm sure, remember this moment in Luke chapter 1, God is with me, because God has a plan as they were escaping down to Egypt, because Herod wanted to take the life of Christ. In becoming the virgin mother of God's son, Mary would certainly need God's help. God's presence, God's protection, and God's mercy. The fulfillment of God's plan came to earth in a plain package of human innocence, without any pomp, without any parade, without any media coverage, and it was far from any palace or royalty. Emmanuel, God with you, Mary. God has a divine plan for you, Mary. Emmanuel, God with his people. Emmanuel, God with Scott, God with you. I think it would be beneficial for us this morning to personalize it this morning. Here's what you're going to do. We're going to say, Emmanuel, the name of Jesus, God with, and you fill in your name. And on the count of three, we're all going to do it together. Emmanuel, God with, and say your name. Three, two, one. Emmanuel, God with. God is with you this morning. God is with you. He has a plan for your life. Mary mustered the courage to have faith because God was with her, because God had a divine plan for her life. Oswald Chambers made this comment about faith in God's plan when he said, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. That's what Mary was doing. I have faith in you, God. I don't fully understand it, but I have faith in you. And there are many times in our spiritual journey, we do not understand why God has put us in the place that we're in or taking us through what we're going through. But we need to have faith that God has a plan for us. Amen, church? Mary had great faith that gave her courage to trust God despite her understanding, uh, despite not understanding the plan that Gabriel was explaining to her in that moment in Luke chapter 1. Do you have faith? Do you have a faith 
that gives you courage to trust God even when you do not understand the plan? Do you have faith that has courage to trust God even when you do not understand the plan? God with us reminds us that God always has a plan. It also reminds us of something else, that courageous faith is always needed for God's plan. Mary's courageous faith was based on two statements from Gabriel. The first statement was, God is with you, Mary. He has a plan for you. He will be with you every step of the way. He will empower you. He will strengthen you. He will protect you. He will be with you. But there's another statement that we see from Luke chapter 1, verse 28, from Gabriel. Gabriel appeared to her and said, we've already looked at this one. The Lord is with you, Emmanuel. He has a plan for you. He's going to be with you. But this is the, the first statement he makes is this, greetings, favored woman. What do you suppose that statement means? Favored. Do you know what the root word for favored is? It's grace. Greetings, graced woman. The undeserving favor, the undeserving grace of God is being given to you, Mary. You. Grace is amazing because it works against the grain of common sense. Hard-nosed common sense would suggest that Mary was unqualified to be the recipient of God's gift, the Son of God. Think about it. Here was a girl, a, a young lady of maybe 16 years of age, had never been married, had never had a child, had, had knew nothing about motherhood other than what her mother would have role-modeled in the home. That was it. And here God shows up and says, you inexperienced young girl, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. It seems like common sense. Well, God, why, wouldn't you, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you find the mother in the community that's had six or 10 or 15 kids, that has some experience? By all standards and common sense, Mary was insignificant. She, had, she didn't come from royalty. She was just a, a common citizen in, in the Middle East. She was nothing special. I don't mean any disrespect by that, but she, she didn't have fame. She didn't have wealth. She, she just was fairly insignificant in the society that she lived in. And she, you could say she was irrelevant. Common sense would say, God, why would you choose Mary? But God says, I choose Mary because of my grace that I'm giving her, the favor that I'm giving her, the grace that I'm giving her. You see, common sense would suggest that, that our sinful, evil ways are never good enough to meet God's holy standard, and you are right. We will never be good enough. We will never do good enough to meet the standard that God has. The only way that we will ever be good enough is through God's favor on our life, through God's amazing grace. Grace tells Mary that she will be the one that will carry Jesus into the world. It is pardoning grace that tells us that we can be part of God's plan for His kingdom in this world despite our sin, despite our evil, destructive ways that we have in our life. It is because of God's amazing grace at work in us. God has shown us favor by giving us a pardoning grace so that we could be used by Him. Before Mary conceives of the Holy Spirit to give forth a child named Jesus, 
God says, I've given you grace. You're favored, Mary. Here's what Mary understood in this moment of time and something that we should never ever forget in our life as well. It's this, that Mary was the recipient of divine grace, not the giver of grace. She received it. We receive God's grace. We receive it. We receive His grace into our life when we don't even deserve it. When we're unqualified. When we are the least likely person. It is God's grace at work in us, His favor on our life, that makes the unqualified qualified. That makes the unworthy worthy. That makes the one who does seems like the least likely to become the most likely because of the grace of God and favor shown to us. When we think we are too weak or too harassed or too sinful to change for the better, remember, we are the recipient of God's divine grace. Amen? Christian philosopher William Lane Craig gave this marvelous description of of, uh, divine grace. He said, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, the words of the Apostle Paul, and the pardoned sinner's guilt is atoned so that they are legally innocent before God. Mary, you are... You are innocent before God because of the grace of God given to you. We stand before God innocent of no matter what we've done in our life. We stand before God innocent of God's amazing grace and favors on our life. He has forgiven us just like we have never sinned because of His marvelous grace. Amen? God's grace makes us holy to carry out the work of God with a courageous faith. There's something else that we need to look at from the Christmas story. We're going to read a few more verses, starting at verse 29. Confused and disturbed. Who wouldn't be confused and disturbed? Mary truly was. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And then in verse 30, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor. You have found grace with God. Then in verse 31, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Then in verse 32, And he will be very... uh, He will be... Very great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. And then in verse 33, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. 34, Mary asks the angel, which is a very valid question, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And then verse 35, the angel replied, Gabriel said, the Uh, The angel replied, Gabriel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the baby to be born will be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. Then in verse 36, What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. And then in verse 37, Would you say this with me, church? For the word of God will never fail. That is the promise that Gabriel was given to Mary. This is the word of God I'm giving you, Mary. It will never fail. It will never fail. God's promise is given to us through Scripture that tells us that we are forgiven of sin, that His grace is living within us, that He's transforming us and changing us. He's taking our life from darkness to light means that God's Word will never fail. If He has said it, He will do it. If He has said it, He will do it. And then look at this verse in closing. Mary responded. Would you say it with me? I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. 
we see in Mary's holy moments a third thing, a third revelation I want to give to you this morning. Every holy moment is an opportunity to say yes. Every holy moment is an opportunity to say yes. Confused and disturbed, yes, she was. As she listened to Gabriel's message, she had probably more questions than answers, which eventually led Mary to a courageous declaration of faith. Her response was what? Verse 38, may everything that you have said to me come true. May everything that you've said to me come true. In the face of the outrageous and impossible, Mary dared to have a courageous faith. Mary's courage begins with faith, faith in the message. She is given the message from Gabriel um, that was received from God. She gives it to, he gives it to Mary, and Mary receives the message by faith. We must receive the message by faith that Jesus died, was born, died, and rose again for us, that he forgives us of our sins. We must have faith in the message. Mary had faith in the message. We must have faith in the message that Jesus came for you and for me. Mary also had faith in God. God, whatever you say, I'm willing. I'll do it. We must not only have faith in the message, but we must have faith in God himself. Amen? It's one thing to have faith in the message, but never have faith in God. We must have faith in the message, but we also must have faith in God, that God will do what he said he will do. And we must have faith in the impossible. Mary had faith in the impossible. I don't know how this is all going to shake down, but everything that you've said to me, may it come true in my life. I don't know. It seems impossible, God, that you, for, you could forgive me of all the things that I've done in my life. God, it seems impossible that you could take me from this dark place and put me into a place of light. God, it seems impossible that you could take me out of the miry clay and this pit that I'm living in now and take me to a place that's so much better but we must have faith in the impossible, amen? Because we have faith in the message and faith in God, we must believe that God will do the impossible in our life. Many times our courageous faith becomes not so courageous because we allow ourselves to be consumed with the how, not the what. Let me explain. We become consumed with the how, not the what. Did you notice that Mary responds in Luke chapter 1 with very, many, with very few how questions? In fact, she only asks one how. Do you remember the how? How could this be possible? Because I am a virgin. That's the only how question she asks. And immediately, Gabriel says, this is how the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll, you will conceive and you'll give um, birth to, to Jesus. And the power of the Almighty will overshadow you. You'll be okay, Mary. She never asks another how question after that. Mary knew the what, and she was okay with that. What was the what? She was going to be the mother of the Son of God. She didn't know the how, but she knew the what. There are some of us in this room and some who are watching online this morning that we need all the hows answered before we'll embrace the what. God is calling you to do something. He's calling you to a better place. He's calling you to a healthier place. And you're going, how? What about this and this and this and this? All you need to know is that God wants to do it in your life. He'll figure out the how. You just need to trust Him like Mary did. The how 
Mary was not entirely sure, but she had a courageous faith that kicked in. Bob Goff made this statement about faith and saying yes. He said, don't worry about all the steps. Just begin. Just begin. Faith starts with one step and then another step and then another step. But faith will never start unless you begin, unless you take that first step. When God shows up in the holy moments of life, it is an opportunity for us to step out and step up in faith. When God calls us and leads us, then we need to step out and step up. Mary did. We see three components from her steps of faith. First of all, we see that she, um, she had faith to step into the unknown. She didn't know what was going to unfold. Oh, she heard the plan, but she didn't fully understand the plan. Like many of us, we would never understand the full plan at that moment that Mary heard the plan from Gabriel. But she had faith to step out into the unknown. I don't know what's coming, but she said, may it be so. We also see that Mary had faith to be, um, faith to be part of the impossible. This seems impossible. I'm a virgin. I don't, I don't really know how this is going to work, God, but, but you are in control, and I will trust you, and I will go along with this, and I will have faith to be part of the impossible. God's calling you into the impossible arenas of, of some areas in your life, and you just need to have faith that God will be with you in the impossible. We also see in Mary's life that she had faith to be totally reliant on God. That's, I think that's why she didn't ask so many how questions. Because she was just totally reliant on God. Okay, God, I have courageous faith in you. Everything that you've said about me, may it come true. I'm willing. I'm totally reliant on you. That when we travel to Bethlehem for census and we can't find a room to stay in and I'm in birthing pains, God, I'm totally reliant on you. You'll provide us a place. God, I don't know how to raise the Son of God, but I'm totally reliant on you that you will provide and you will help me raise this young boy into what you want. God, I'm totally reliant on you when Herod puts out a decree that all young boys should be murdered and killed. God, I don't know, but I'm reliant on you as they make their way down to Egypt. She was totally reliant on God. She had a faith and trust in Him. Is your faith declaring courage in God? That you're willing to step out into the unknown? That you are willing to have faith in the impossible? And that you are willing to be totally reliant on God? In 2011, there was a film, We Bought a Zoo. Maybe you watched it, maybe you didn't. There was also a book written, same title, We Bought a Zoo. It was by a British man who was named Benjamin Mee, and in 2006, he, his family purchased a 30-acre zoo. And in his book, We Bought a Zoo, he said, we had neighbors when we moved in that included five Siberian tigers, three African lions, nine wolves, three big brown European bears, four Asian short-clawed otters, two flamingos, some large boa constrictors, and a tarantula. The zoo was dangerously run down. Me faced many challenges, including rat infestations and money to, enough to buy food for the animals. And on his fourth day of owning the zoo, the panther escaped and was running wild in the neighborhood. 
But despite the difficulties, me and his family restored the zoo into a place of beauty and safety that provided a place of healing for not only their family, but for their surrounding community. But it wasn't easy. Me admitted there were many times when I thought, what have I done? I'm sure they're probably as good as we have painted Mary in a very positive light today. I'm sure there were times in her life she thought, what have I done? So why did me buy and remodel the zoo? Well, in the film version, me, played by Matt Damon, uh, Damon excuse me, verbalized this. He said, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. Think about that for a moment. All you need sometimes is 20 seconds of insane courage, two words, just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. Think of those four words for a moment. Insane courage, embarrassing bravery. There is no other definition that I could think of that would describe Mary than those four words. Insane courage and embarrassing bravery. When is the last time your faith could fall under those four words? When's the last time your spiritual walk with God could be described as insane courage and embarrassing bravery? And I promise you, he said, something great will come of it. Mary certainly had more than 20 seconds of insane courage. It became a lifetime of courage, courageous faith, stemming from an encounter with an angel. In your holy moments with God, what are you? What is God asking of you? Are you courageous? Do you have faith to trust me? Are you willing to step out into the unknown? Are you willing to be part of the impossible that I'm calling you to? Are you willing to be totally reliant on me? Do you have some insane courage? How about being embarrassingly brave? If God asks you to step out, Step up onto the diving board of life at the age of 95. Would you do it? Would you do it? Mary did. Daniel did. Will you do it? I want to pray for you as the team comes to lead us in a song. Father, we thank you for the life of Mary. We thank you for her courage and her willingness to be part of your plan, which would see the Son of God coming to planet Earth, born in a manger, died on a cross, and rose again on the third day. Lord, without Mary's willingness to go through with the birthing process of Jesus, the story could be so different. We thank you that she was willing. And she is blessed because your grace flowed through her. And Lord, we want to be blessed too. Blessed in the sense that we want your grace flowing through us. There are some in this room that feel unworthy. Lord, may your grace flow through them to make them feel worthy. There are others who feel like I've messed up so many times. God doesn't even care about me. 
Lord, may Your grace flow through them. Help us to step out into the unknown by faith in You. Help us, Lord, to trust You and to be reliant on You as Mary was. We want You to change our life in such a dramatic way as You changed Mary's life and changed so many other lives. We place our faith in You. When the storm clouds roll in and the storms, the sea is stormy and the light from the lighthouse doesn't seem to be shining, we're asking You to shine Your light into our darkness today that we would grab a hold of faith and grace and apply it to our life. We pray that you would help us to step that very first step of faith into the unknown, that you would help us to be part of the impossible and teach us to be totally reliant on you. In Jesus' name.